That's nice. Okay, Nicola, talent, take one, the Mario Rosenstock podcast promo. Mario the Impressionist Rosenstock has been unleashing his poison onto your favourite podcast platforms for the last few months. People are too scared to stand up to him and cry stop. Who is this man and what does he want with your ears? I'm Nicola Talent and I've met this man face to face. You can read all my experiences only this week in the Sunday World and on Mario Rosenstock's podcast. Be afraid. Be very afraid. God, that was really scary. Look, people really love listening to stories about crime. And when you've got Ireland's top crime journal on the podcast, well, you've got to be on your best behaviour, really, don't you? Not that I've done anything wrong or anything. No, no, no. The, The money was just resting in my account, as they say. But anyway... So yes, Nicola Talent was on my podcast hit list, and that pun was intended, for quite some time. Not only has her crime coverage for the Sunday World helped that paper become one of the most read Sunday newspapers in the country, but it's helped her two podcasts, uh, crime podcasts, The Witness and Crime World, uh, become consistently uh, a feature at the top of the Apple podcasting charts, uh, ahead of my podcast, unfortunately enough. Nicola really knows her stuff, and she's so good at what she does. I wanted to meet her. I wanted to look at her in the eyes and I wanted to find out about some of the criminals she's met, what got her into crime journalism in the first place and what actually drives her to do such a a dangerous job every day. There he was sitting in the dock facing what he was facing, which was essentially life imprisonment if he was found guilty of that. And he still had time to search out the women and making kissing things over and everything. He He was a horrible little man. Love-hate was very accurate. Really? Yeah. You found love-hate to be yeah. representative of the world that you knew? Very much so. It was, like the, it was like the world I knew coming to life on the screen. Most people who are in organised crime are business people, really, but they're just in an illegitimate business. They're doing a day's work, really, like the rest of us. They're just, they shouldn't be doing it. You know, there are very few female superheroes, <laughs> and you're one of them. We both fight toxic scumbags every night. You're face to face with the monk and I'm face to face with Leo Varadkar. (laughs) So, Nicola's new book is called Clash of the Clans, which, as you can imagine, covers the fascinating and frankly disturbing story of the Hutch Kinnan feud. Um, We'll be talking all about that and loads more in a few minutes' time. But, have you noticed... Have you been aware? Nightclubs are going to be opening up again very soon. October 22nd is the big, big day. Um, And it looks good for that date. It looks like the numbers are good and it looks like the all clear is going to be given and we can go in and dance and uh, all that sort of stuff again and run into coppers. I did a copper sketch on the on Gift Grub this week where people were learning how to put their jerseys on again and they put on a COVID half stone and looking how to flirt with each other again. And they were all out of touch with that. Um, but it got me to thinking that maybe we shouldn't be expecting everything to be exactly the same with the whole nightclub experience. There could be some worrying changes and maybe a few worrying changes uh, regarding the door policy at some of these nightclubs. Can't wait for a drink and an old boogie. What? I haven't been to a nightclub in two years. <laughs> oh, here. Is that your man, Tony Holohan? What's he doing standing at the door? What? what? The- is that the other plank? McConkie beside him. Jesus. Right, lads. Having a good night. Okay, lads. We want no trouble now. Sorry, 
Are you bouncers now? What happened to Nefet? We are, are Nefet. What? Nightclubs, pubs, hotel and entertainment task force. Jesus. Can we get in, so? Can we get in? Not with those masks on, lads. You'll need an N95 to get in here, lads. Sling your hook. Oh, come on, please. I've a vaccination cert here. Look. Looks a bit Wait. dodgy to me, Sam. Fake IDs, lads. Jog on. Oh, come on, Come on, please. look, look. I'm double jabbed and all. Please, we just want a bit of a dance. Dancing strictly a metre apart. Slow sets two metres apart, lads. Shifting prohibited. What? Any exchange of saliva will be deemed a breach of protocol. Quarantined out the back for 14 days. Fair enough. Okay, whatever, let us in. In you go. Behave yourselves, lads. Jesus, it's freezing in here. Yeah, only about eight people here. It's this is crap. Yeah. Look, your man in the denim jacket in the shades. He's your man, Professor Luke O'Neill. Yeah. Oh, jeez, here he comes. Hey, lads, how are you? Ah, <laughs> oh, the place is really rocking tonight, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, I've got some great gear if you're uh, if you're in the market. Sorry, are you a dealer now? <laughs> I'm a supplier, satisfied demand. What? Let's put it like jeez. that. Listen, uh, I've got these antigen test kits, top of the range. Look at these needles. Gets the stuff right in the veins. Needles? Some wipes here. No, so no, 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 oh, you're no, grand. We'll head on to Doisy's. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this sanitizer, lads. No, no, Pure no, Colombian. <laughs> Suit yourself. Oh, hello, ladies. Place is rocking tonight, isn't it? Hey. I can definitely see Professor Luke O'Neill in a denim jacket and a pair of dodgy looking shades. Um, brand new and exclusive comedy sketches for you here every week on the Mario Rosenstock podcast, um, which we're proud to say, as always, is supported by Curry's PC World. Just before we go to the main event and meet Nicola Talent, um, just a reminder that you can contact me directly if you want. Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. Let me know how you feel about the podcast. Um, if you uh, are liking any of the sketches or if you have any suggestions for any other sketches that you think I should be doing. Uh, and please jump on to the page um, and rate us and follow us. Uh, subscribe if you can. It's all free. Give us a rating. Uh, we're at 4.7 out of 5 at the moment, which is pretty good. OK, Nicola Talent, Ireland's top crime journalist. New book is called Clash of the Clans. And that's where we kick things off. Nicola, it's great to it's great to talk to you. And great that you're here. Yeah. So, um, I'm, as I said, the PDF was just sent to me yesterday of Clash of the Clans, your new book. And you were saying it isn't even in Ireland because of Brexit. Is that right? Yeah, not yet. So it'll be next week. Well, I think that, I don't know. Apparently they have problems with truck drivers, warehousing, everything. Yeah. Are you sure people aren't being taken out now um, en route to... Yeah, possibly, <laughs> gosh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it'll be next week or something like that. I mean, sure, it doesn't really matter. It'll be there by October, so... This book is about um, two clans, Clash of the Clans. Mm. And this book is about the Kinahans and the Hutches and their ongoing, never-ending feud. And one of the images I was left with yesterday while I was starting the book was you in an airport, in Dublin airport. Mm. Take, take me through that scene. What happened there? Well, that's how I started the book because you have to always start somewhere and then maybe go back a bit before you go forward. But um, it was the day after Gary Hutch was murdered, which we probably all know now was the catalyst or was one of the, the starting points of that feud. And I was headed to Spain to cover the story with um, a photographer I work with. And we got to the airport very early, 7am flight, as far as I can remember, everyone a bit bleary eyed. And I went, got us some coffee, rooted through my handbag quite a number of times, as most women do when, you know, you get panicky. I don't know. Am I alone with that? I constantly think I've left my passport down or I've, you know, 
Uh, it's a bit pathetic in middle age. But anyway, I was sort of rooting through it and something caught my eye. And over at the gold circle in um, just boarding, ready to board, were these three people who just looked a little bit out of out of place where I was but at the same time there was some familiar there was something familiar about it and I looked again and I just they all came to me at the one time and it was this one guy and he was in this big Canada Goose style jacket and he was bulging out of it he looked as if he'd taken a load of steroids um, a peculiar colour tan on him and uh, there was a younger girl very long nails and then there was this guy and he was in double grey and at his feet was this chocolate brown Louis Vuitton bag and I just knew it was the main man it was Daniel Kinahan and we were about to board this flight I was boarding to go and cover the murder of his one time best friend Gary Hutch and he was boarding because he was probably in Ireland for an alibi so we had to get on the plane together and travel to Spain. He knew me, I knew him. Um, we clocked eyes, actually, and I didn't let the stare go. I don't think he did for a while either until he probably he probably turned around and smirked. But we got on the flight and um, here's drug money for you. He went into the you know business class or whatever it was. Of course, I was down in the economy. Um, no newspaper in recent years, decades maybe, has been able to afford to send its journalists um, any better. But um, yeah, we were flying to Spain and I am kind of clinically nosy and I did wonder how he was, you know, what he was doing, um, what, how he felt. I mean, no matter what had happened, his one time best friend had been shot dead. Um, and Gary Hutch, of course, was... When I say his one time best friend, they had shared a house together. They had shared everything. They'd shared friends, prostitutes, you know, nights out, nights in. Um, Gary Hutch had been his number two in what would or was the Irish Mafia, basically. So I kind of like, even though I know what these guys are like, but you still sometimes feel maybe they have a bit of humanity. So I sort of went up and had a little look through the curtain and he was just sitting back, looking at his phone, having a laugh, big giant watch on his arm. Um, he certainly wasn't somebody who was mourning the loss of a life or his friend. Um, and I suppose really that was this, in a way the start of a journey of understanding for me because we were getting all these you know, the jungle drums come in Dublin and you get little bits of information and you hear this and you hear that. But the truth of this story, of this fallout of what had happened between this gang was massive. It was a, a seminal moment in Irish gangland. And, uh, you know, I was sort of, I suppose, going out to try and untangle what had happened and it would take years, mm. really, for the, the truth to... And so begins the story of, mm. in your words, of the Clash of the Clans. And there's these two families. It's the Canahans and the mm. Hutches. And they were led by two, you know, patriarchal kind of characters in a way. Mm. Namely, isn't this right, Christy Kinahan and Jerry Hutch? Yes. And they're different kinds of criminals, aren't they? It's interesting the way you, you draw the, 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 the differences between them. The Kinahan, <clears throat> the Kinahan dynasty, if you like, came from a little more upper middle, or sorry, 
middle class background, um, bed and breakfasts and mm. decent income and, you know, the dapper Don, um, Christy. Nick, Nick, yeah. Christy. Yeah. So and then the and the other, and the differences between the two families, the Hutch and the Kinhans. Tell me about that. Both yeah. criminal families, but both totally different. Well, like Christy Kinahan came from middle class. You're right. He, his his mother ran a B and B in a very nice period property that he was reared in, in in Cabra, and his father was a taxi driver and worked the Gresham rank. And they all were educated. He had uh, three sisters. They were educated. He had choices in life. Really, like a lot of choices, he could have done anything. He was said to be very um, sporting good at anything he turned his hand to, one of those very irritating people. He was intelligent. He was, you know, good at everything. Um, And then I suppose on the other side of town, you had Jerry the Monk Hutch, who came out of abject poverty and started into crime because he had to feed himself. And, uh, you know, a much more natural type of a person to be living within that criminal world. Um, And actually, I would have, I would say that, Christy Kinahan, the Dapper Don, is exactly the last sort of person that Hutch feels belongs in that world. I mean, he's a real cuckoo in the nest um, and yet he's done so well. And of course, then Kinahan, when he fell out of that middle class existence and and moved into the criminal world, he made his money and built his empire on smack, on heroin. Whereas Hutch, while, you know, I think we all know now that the the Hutch and his associates are involved in drugs, um, he would have very much looked down his nose on heroin. It destroyed his community. He hated it. Mm, and that would have been a key difference between Big the two time, yeah. as well. So the Kinahans would have been immediately into the heroin business and the mm. H- Jerry Hutch would have kind of frowned on that and he would have been your more traditional kind of criminal of yeah, smuggler, ro- really. robbing and smuggling mm. and, 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 and so on. So w- without giving away, you know, the other aspects of the book, that's how that's the differences between them. That's kind of where they came from. And now look where they are. So it's, it's funny that we have the interview at this time because mm. the monk has just been caught mm. a few weeks ago. Where does that stand now? So he was arrested in Spain and is he going to be extradited or are they going to attempt to extradite him? Well, there's an extradition warrant there and he'll have to challenge it if he doesn't want to come back. Um, look, nobody really beats those European arrest warrants. Um, there's charges here waiting for him. Yeah. He'll be before the special criminal court. And it's ironic really where he is and yet... Christy Kinahan, his his old foe, the Dapper Don, is just a multimillionaire, has almost legitimised himself and is um, on the international business scene. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, we have Daniel Kinahan, mm. who has kind of sports washed himself in a way. Yes. Um, yeah. w- 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 with, um, with boxing and Tyson Fury. And is it the AMC? The, the MTK. A- MTK, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So I suppose, look, this book has been... People say this, but it actually has genuinely been 10 years or more in the making. In a way, it tells the story of the rise of the Irish Mafia. And they came out from under the likes of Hutch and Kinahan. They were a sort of a young brat pack who were second generation coming along. And they were joined, like they joined together from different parts of the cities, from different families, from different criminal dynasties. And they came together as one Um moved out to Spain where they had their headquarters and then fell out, as most crime gangs do. But in a way, I've kind of done it 
with those little experiences that I've just explained mm. to you, like the airport and a few other experiences like that, that weaves how you report on this sort of stuff and how, like what crime journalism is about and how it, you know, how you do the job. I've weaved that through it. So, um, and obviously then you've sport. It's an incredible story, really, when you, you know, when you come to the the Tyson Fury end of it. Um, yes. You see where they've come from. It is just like if you sent in a script to a production company, they'd, a couple of years ago, they probably would have laughed you out at the place with that, you know. Well, interesting you say that because speaking of scripts in the production company, mm. I mean, like there is a television series ongoing at the moment. It's just finished episode two. It's called Kin mm. and it's called Kin for a reason. When you watch programs like this and previously Love Hate, how does it compare to your experience in the field, if you like? Mm. Um, Kin, look, there's only two of them so far I've watched. Um, I'm just not seeing it the, you know, I'm not seeing the real deal with that. I think it's very middle class or there's possibly a lot of middle class influence on it or something. Do you mean in the acting and the and the accents? Um, no, I don't mean in the act- acting. I just mean in the scenes and the whole, the nuances, which I think Love, Hate got. Hmm. The little, you know, they got that there's just an awful lot of middle classness in Kin, but maybe we'll give it another few episodes and see what happens with it. But hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Love Hate was very accurate. Really? Yeah. You found Love Hate to be yeah. representative of the world that you knew? Very much so. It was like the, it was like the world I knew coming to life on the screen. And um, yeah, I thought it was it was really good. But look, you know, it's drama. It doesn't have to be exactly real to life. But it's sometimes I think um, people who aren't part of it look in and see something or they they yeah. bring they bring their own. It, it really raises an interesting area, though, Nicola. And, you know, Joe Duffy was saying it last week. He's virulently against this kin business and love hate, you know, because mm. he sort of, sort of says it, it, you know, fundamentally, um, it fundamentally undermines um, people's view of the north side or it puts our inner city Dublin and mm. it, it, it frames what happens in inner city Dublin in, in only one aspect, and that is the criminal underworld. I mean, oh, this this constant thing of, mm. of does it glamorise mm. crime? So wh- wh- where where would you stand on that? Well, I mean, look, you get accused of glamorising crime, everything you do. But sometimes you can do it that you're actually creating a bigger picture and some understanding. I mean, the likes of that podcast I did, The Witness, we were just talking about, which is a story of a child groomed and um, a child who finds themselves trapped within gangland and a very dangerous place. There's nothing glamorous about that. It's a real look into but and the telling of a story by a real person who really was there. And, um, you know, we've had an awful lot of feedback from it, from teachers in schools and from people in education who feel that, um, you know, should possibly be used on a curriculum. It, mm. it, it, you know what I mean? It is. So that's not glamorising it as such, um, even though it's a commercial product, if mm. you know what I mean. So you can, the likes of RTE probably should be criticised if they're using the public money on something that maybe it should have a greater end or a greater reason for being. Mm. When they're looking at crime, they should maybe be, I think, more careful that something is uh, 
bit deeper, like maybe, or mm. is giving us a m- more of an understanding of where things are coming from. Like you can go in and have a look and a flash and see the, the money and the this and the that and the other. But um, why is the criminal underworld like that? Where has it come from? Why, where are the people coming from? What are the societal issues that have forced people or turned people to crime? Yeah. You know, and there you see it very clearly in the likes of Jerry Hutch. Mm. But you don't see it so clearly in Christy Kinahan. Correct, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I do think that it is a very worthwhile subject matter to analyse. And, um, you know, you just can't write off everything as glamorising it. No, and, not at all. You know, no. like it's funny as a crime journalist, um, you just get constantly criticised for everything you do. Like, and I don't see that with colleagues whose expertise is in sport, is in politics, is in environment, is in any other issue. Uh, you're criticised for the same thing. But just, oh, constantly. Making cult heroes it's like out of as them. If, well, it's like as if you, should, you shouldn't look at the subject at all mm. because it's, 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 it should be just forgotten about or pushed to the side. And mm. you have people from... Uh, within areas who are very rightly got a voice at the table as regards, you know, how their area should be viewed and all the rest of it. But most of it is coming from middle class people who just think, no, you shouldn't be. It's kind of like, just leave it there in the north inner city and let's just park it and let's not have to face it at all. Yeah, I get Um, it. It's easier not to have to face it because if you do face it, you realise that life is bloody well unfair and that only for the chance of your birth maybe you're not um, gone into into crime. I'd say I would have certainly if I had been somewhere else. You raised two interesting points there, which I was mm. just, I wanted to pick up on. And that is when I was talking about glamorising and you mentioned uh, kids and stuff, right? And the witness and everything. And like, I just had an image of my mind of kids, right? Mm. 14, 13 year old kids from very middle class backgrounds and lower middle class backgrounds and working class backgrounds. And they all, a lot of them, and I mean very middle class kids, aspire to kind of the look that is perpetuated by some of the criminals. I'm talking about Canada Goose, Mm. Rolexes, Bling, even changing their accents Mm -hmm. from, let's say, normally bland, flat, middle class Dublin accents, let's say, into like inner city accents. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. I've seen that, yeah. What's going on there? The glamour, (laughs) fuck you. I ain't taking no shit from no teacher and no law. I'm mm. I'm breaking through that. Is that what it is? Is it the rebellious thing? Well, that would suggest they're empowered, which I don't believe they probably are. I think it's maybe a disguise. Like, is it a uniform? Is it something that you put on to sort of hide other elements that you're you're exactly not empowered? You know, you could be a fearful person and that you want to wear this to try. And I mean, I've spoken to lots of guys, even and girls who have been in who've actually been real in that world. They're not imposter syndrome stuff. And, you know, they talk back, they look back on when they were younger and, you know, all that aggression and showing their, you know, muscles and and whatever the uniform is at the time, be it Canada Goose, uh, and wearing it because they were afraid and they were fearful and they wanted to be... Project. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, they wanted to be left alone maybe in the beginning by other kids who were bullying them or something like that. So it's projecting an aura in a way. I'd say there's always something underneath, you know what I mean? I don't really think that these are empowered people. 
mm. who, who go out and who feel um, that, you know, and most people realistically don't choose to go into crime. They don't get up in the morning and decide they're going to be a criminal. They don't. I'd say, you know, there's only a tiny wee percentage, maybe the likes of, again, Kinahan would be, he's just such an outsider really with it because most of them are drawn into crime. They're in it, they're in the world and there's no way out. So you're in it, you got to just... And you're caught in a rabbit hole in a totally spiral. Totally and utterly, yeah. yeah. And especially the younger they are, the kids, I mean, they're, you know, they'll hold drugs or something like that and they're goosed. But it's interesting the way you raised about Kinahan and stuff because mm. you you told you, you you describe him as not being necessarily having to be a criminal. He could have taken other options. Mm. And so then you paint the portrait of maybe psychopathy. What it's like to be some sort of a sociopath or a psychopath because what else would make somebody so wantonly uh, cruel mm. um, other than to be do you believe in evil? Yes, and I think some people are born without uh, empathy. Compassion. But I think some people learn to have none by their own experiences. So I believe in both nature and nurture. Um, I think children who've been traumatised through their childhoods, be it through abuse or neglect, um, I think all their feelings can be dulled and screwed up, basically. And is there any evidence that he had... That kind of... Oh, no, I think he possibly would have had the opposite. I think he would have been adored as the only son. And, um, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but... Given a narcissism complex. Yeah, there's a bit of that going on. There has to be the guys who make it to the very top of the um, of that drug world are very Trump-esque. Caligula-esque. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they just are, you know, they love themselves and only themselves. And then anybody around them who is part of themselves are, you know, they love. But mm. apart from that, you know, mm. anything goes. And just watching, listening to you tell me this story, Nicola, and, you know, obviously I'm a person who studies people's faces a little mm-hmm. bit and listens to people's voices a lot. And just taking you in for the last few minutes... I mean, it's some you clearly are somebody who is is very deeply woven into their. I thought you were going to say I'm a sociopath because <laughs> <laughs> my colleagues are constantly making me do those tests and work, you know, are they? Yeah. How do you they, go? Then they lie. They lie. Yeah. OK. No, what I meant was I was more far more bland with that. I meant you're somebody clearly deeply intermeshed, enmeshed in what you're doing. I mean, mm. your mind could travel your mind answers my question and then it begins to tell its own the narrative and you begin to tell more stories that you're unraveling in your mind about the thing you're you're clearly very it's clearly got chapters and chapters and chapters in your head so how long have you been doing this um about 25 years Hmm. and you mentioned earlier you were clinically nosy Mm. so what brought you into it I mean, um, tell me something. You Tell me you were a business journalist beforehand. No, no, no. Tell me geez, you had studied no. the stock exchange or something, did you? What no, brought you into this? No. Um, I was just a regular journalist, like what most people start out, like that you'd take any shift going and you'd, you know, you'd do any job or you'd write about press releases. I do recall one time feeling really depressed when I was handed a, um, a press release in the Indo newsroom about a new chocolate bar and asked to write a story up about it. Three paragraphs would do. <laughs> <laughs> that was a moment that I could have walked away from it. Yeah. Um, but uh, then it got exciting. And then I started covering crime, like rather 
then I started covering crime. Then it got exciting, shall I say. So it, you stumbled across it. Well, I was working for the Daily Mirror in Ireland and we had only got two or three of us in the office. We were kind of working to the UK at the time. They didn't have uh, offices here or anything like that. And um, I, so we basically, I was only about 21 or something, but you were put on the big story of the day, whatever it was, politics or whatever the big, big one was. And of course, it was after Veronica Guerin had been murdered and Gilligan, etc. had been brought back under extradition from the UK and wherever else they'd run to. And they were before the special criminal court. So I was covering that. And yeah, just... So so, in the, so this is the beginning of it in a way, because in the special yeah. criminal court, you were exposed to this story and you had to almost trace the story from its inception to where it was to there. Yeah. And it, this is what got you into it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I suppose it did. Yeah. And seeing him there, he, of course, wasn't found guilty of the murder. He was found guilty on drug offences. But uh you know, getting an understanding of what the drug gang were, how quickly he built it, the kind of money they were making, uh, what he was capable of doing. Mm. And um, then, of course, the environment was pretty exciting if you were young. I would be very cool about it now, but there were snipers on the building and everybody was searched on the way in. There was two super grasses, which I think was the first time. I think it was probably the first time there was a gangland trial in the special because that was set up for the subversives for the IRA. Um but, you know, they'd search your bags and everything going in. And then Gilligan was a little shit. He used to search out the women and then he'd be making kissing things over and everything. He was a he was a horrible little man. Um, do you know, Sari was sitting in the dock facing what he was facing, which was essentially life imprisonment if he was found guilty of that. And he still had time to, do you know, Having done what his his gang having done to what flirt they did, with you. yeah. Well, I mean that was his sort of yeah, but I mean he was looking for the vulnerable young woman, you know. And I'm sure it wasn't just me. I'm sure there was other women there as well. I kept trying to avert. Was my Jerry eyes. McSorley's portrayal of him? If he did it now, yeah, <laughs> I could stare him right back. Was Jerry McSorley's portrayal of him in the Veronica Guerin film? Very good, yeah. 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 No, I mean, he is a nasty little figure, like he really is. And, um, you know, I've met him in more recent years now when I'd be a bit tougher now, I'd say, with them, or I wouldn't be as... Sorry, I wouldn't be averting my eyes from him anyway, but... Um, mm, I was going to ask you, so... In still your, nasty. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, in your early 20s then, mm. and the way you're putting it across to me, it is, among other things, it's exciting mm-hmm. and it's a, it's compelling. Mm-hmm. And it's it it's absorbing. Um, is it slightly addictive? Maybe, hmm. maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, I suppose, like anything, when you're gaining knowledge, you're growing your knowledge all the time. Um, it also there's an element of a handcuff situation with that because, like, who the hell would want to listen to me about any other subject? How do you mean? Like, you know, as you're as you start covering something as a journalist, you you gain a knowledge about it. And I mean, if I turned around tomorrow now and said to you, all right, I'm going to cover politics. Would you be interested in talking to me here? No, I'm under no illusion. You know what I mean? Mm. So, um, you know, you you put in the years and then you you you. I suppose you you grow your your knowledge across. You know, you don't just see a criminal in, in the district court in Dublin. You 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 grow your knowledge about why they're there, about the other elements from all over the world that are 
relevant. When was the first time around, let's say you were in your early 20s, when was the first time after that maybe you met a serious criminal for face to face? I remember you telling a really good story. Was it about Larry Dunn? Oh, yes. Was it? It could have been about him. The way you told that story was very interesting. But Larry Dunn was like the he first. He was a major heroin dealer in yeah. inner city Dublin in mm. the early 80s. Tony Gregory's time. Yes, he was the first godfather of crime. And he would have been the first millionaire godfather of crime. People who were around in those days might have remembered him um, being driven around by a chauffeur in Dublin. He had a house up in the hills um, in Sandyford looking down over uh, over the city. He was mega rich and that was before the Criminal Assets Bureau. So he was massive, but he liked his own supply and uh, he sort of disappeared a bit. Uh, oh, he was jailed, actually. In actual fact, when he was jailed for 14 years, he turned around with this famous phrase, you know, whoever comes after us, whoever you think I'm bad or something, wait till you see who comes after me. And who came after him was Christy Kinahan because he took over the heroin market from Larry Dunn. He watched his demise, supposedly learned from his mistakes and, uh, you know, that he wouldn't touch his supply, which he did afterwards. But he um, he moved right in there and he took over the, the heroin market in Dublin um, at that time. Did you meet Larry Dunn? Yes, I did. Years later, he was, you know, he had come back to Dublin and he was like, I mean, he hadn't a penny. He was actually living out the back of a daughter's house and uh, he was like a hobo. And I had called to the door of the house. Um, I just wanted to ask him, you know, I mean, he was, you know, credited as the man who brought heroin to Dublin. Um, And how did he feel about that? You know, did he have any regrets? Uh, You know, he's so significant, really, in the whole drug story of Dublin. But uh, he came out the door. There was actually smoke billowing out of the sitting room and he came out the door and he opened the door. He was quite pleasant initially, as most of them are, until they kind of double take me and then they go, oh, right, fuck you. So, uh, you know, he, he wasn't interested in talking to me. He okay. got a door slammed in my face there. He had an awful death. He had an awful death. He died only in the last year or so at his own hand. He had an awful death. Oh. Mm. Um, even to have retired, his family obviously, like, his daughter who'd taken him in, you know, that's the thing, obviously loved him and his family still loved him and he was loved, you know, and everybody's loved in a way. But um, he, uh, a lot of that family fell to their own, their own supply, you know. Yeah. Nicola, a few years ago, um, my house was burgled mm. and uh, it, we were burgled. It was burgled while we were there in the house. Scary. Yeah. So. Two burglars entered the house upstairs at eight o'clock in the evening while we were downstairs and they were out within 10 minutes and they stole loads of stuff. And um, I remember then having to follow up with the police and the police came to my house. And sometimes when you the police keep calling to your house after these things and you end up feeling like the like as if you've done something wrong, because mm-hmm. they keep asking you to appear places, be somewhere have to be here and you know the police cars are outside your house and you feel as if you're being kind of wanted yourself and we ended up having several meetings with the police and we were saying who did this or whatever and the police one of the the sergeants or the detectives had sort of maybe a vague idea who these people were Mm -hmm. and he actually knew them by name now I won't say any names or anything right but it was like he sat down and he started talking about these guys and again I started watching him and what I could see was a guy going now this fella 
He was called Rashers. We know him a long time. He goes way back. He operates up in the Clondalk and Blanchestown area. I have him up on the wall. I look at him. And you're going, this is a monologue now. And I'm beginning to look at somebody who is more than just fascinated with these people. To me, they're just somebody who's robbed my house. To them, they're an object of fascination. And that worried me slightly. And so it leads me to maybe my next question, which you probably know where I'm going with this. And that is, some of these people you're, you're dealing with are maniac and monstrous. And is there a sense sometimes of almost getting to know them, mm. uh, getting to, you can't say like, almost admire their opera, modus operandi, like you would admire, like we would admire an exotic snake, mm-hmm. how they kill things, <laughs> or a cobra, how venomous it is. Look how brilliant it is. Do you know what I mean? I do, but most of them aren't monstrous at all, you know, at all. Like, um, that's, in, that's in your head now. Go on. Um, they're just not like they're. Kind oh no! Of, like, when you when you when I, when when you say that you're referring to the burglars, no, no I didn't. I know that they're not <laughs> monstrous. I'm, no, but, I'm, I'm also referring to a lot of the people I write about. They're not all monstrous. Okay, look, anybody who orders a murder in the same way as they'd order a pizza is a monster. There's no doubt well, about it. Plenty of those around. There's some of those. There's probably a finite number of those. But most of the people, most people who are in organized crime are business people really but they're just in an illegitimate business and uh, they're doing a day's work really like the rest of us they're just they shouldn't be doing it um so yeah they're not all monsters they're like i mean i've met plenty of criminals who you know if life was different i'd be quite happy to call them my friend but it's not i'm a journalist and i'm you know professional about what i do and i don't bring work home or anything like that but the fact of the matter is they're not bad people they're doing you know they're in a, a bad business but um some of them are there for reasons i've explained to you mm. from the beginning or you know they they've most been thrust them, into it for societal reasons they're marginalized yeah, and you so. feel that there was very little choice left to them I think so. And I think, you know, when you get into it, like if you had if you had the choice to be, you know, uh, to just live the rest of your life on state, you know, on the dole and never have a chance of getting uh, a job or anything like that, or you were given this opportunity to go into Hmm. business that would maybe keep your family in better. What would you do? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? You'd want to be very. Yeah. Highly moralistic to say, oh, no, you'd be quite happy to live off 100 quid a week for the rest of your days. Yeah, well, it's funny. We kind of um, John Chalice, the guy who played Boise in Only Fools and Horses, mm. died the other day. And John Chalice and Del Boy and all those, they're only into kind of small time stuff. Or are they? If you look at it, I mean, they, one good little bit of luck for them and they can be suddenly into a deeper area. Mm-hmm. They can meet other criminals and suddenly, before you know it, Del Boy is an entirely different program. It's only Fools and Sopranos, really. Um, I would say the majority of them are like the sort of the Del Boys in that they're always looking for the the big the big one. They're always looking for the million quid and they never get there. It's a little bit like gambling, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they'll they'll keep going and keep going till they get enough for retirement but there's never enough or they lose a load of drugs or they lose this or whatever and they're back to square one there's no insurance policies there's no pensions nowadays here in this country you can't pump your money into a mortgage like you don't have a mortgage 
you know, like there's a there's a lot of um, downsides to being a criminal, really. And uh, there's no winners in it. (laughs) But they're not all they're not all bad monsters uh, in any way, shape or form. What Um, about um, what about your own personal safety and mm. fear? Um, Like I'll come straight out with it. I just there's no way I could I would there's no way I would eat because rolling around in bed at night, the thoughts that would go through my head would be enough to make me go. Lads, I'm handing in my resignation tomorrow. Can I be put immediately on the snooker desk um, to cover the, to cover the leash snooker championships? Because yeah. I have no more interest in covering these guys. Yeah. But Mario, are there any threats against your life? No, but I just want out. My dreams are too bad. Do you not have bad dreams? Um, about silliest things, yeah. Go on. Well, not silly. No, no, not silly. But... Um, yeah, no, I just look, it's, it's, you just get used to it. You get used to anything really, don't you? But it's not, it's not um, that. But if you had said to Nicola, it aged 18, like, this is what mm. you'd be doing, would you have believed it? Um, yeah, I don't think it would have put me off necessarily, you know. Mm. Um, like Are you it's brave? Actually, no, I'm just sort of doing a job. Like, I mean, you could say the same thing to anybody who goes out every day and does you know, many occupations would have, would be, you could roll around the bed if you thought about it too much, you know, like a guard or a, you know, it's Lister even uh, these days, you know, well, you're coming into, you're coming into, you're, you're meeting people of, of low morals, shall mm. we say, anything can happen. But sure, you could walk across the street there on Dame Street, I nearly did on the way in here, um, and get yourself mown over. You could. You know, but do you ever think of, for example, Veronica Gearan? I mean, she was twenty-five years mm. gone this year. I do, of course. And like, that I kind mean, of angle. Look, I mean, did she push it too far? I think that we, as a occupation, learned from what she did. What? How? What did we learn? Well, I think we learned not to work alone. Um, you know, when I do think of her, that she went up that driveway, and I know it. I know the driveway. Uh, of John Gilligan's house because I stood there many's a time and to go up that driveway it's tree lined on your own nobody could see you from the road on your own to face him down and that was the first time she was beaten up was up there I mean I would never work on my own I would always have plenty of people working with me I wouldn't doorstep anybody in those conditions but they were different times and I wouldn't criticise her or anyone for doing what they did but we were fortunate to learn from her mistakes and she was very unfortunate that she was the you know what happened or happened mm-hmm. um, I mean I would I don't understand these journalists I hear and they're refusing protection I'd bloody well take it I'd be quite happy mm-hmm. if there was anything you know if I was at risk at all I would be um, I wouldn't be refusing that yeah yeah um, do you know you hear that I think that's a bit silly yeah and just back to the remember we were talking about love hate or kin earlier on I mean um, Mm. when something like that comes on do you jump at it and go oh I'd be interested to see the way they their their representation of this yeah definitely you would be but I wouldn't I don't you know it's only that it's an Irish one that I last a little bit with it but um, I kind of make my decision fairly quick with them whether I'll turn them off but I do watch crime dramas and I do you do yeah so what I kind do, of crime drivers would you all watch all that narcos and everything oh like god narcos is so good all of that stuff yeah. Subaru and you know is, is, was, and the, was the monk a bit of a Pablo Escobar kind of character no, 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 definitely See not. No, I we know. haven't. No, 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 we haven't had. Listen, Pablo Escobar, and I was re- I was listening to a thing the other day mm. when I was out for a cycle about Chapo Guzman. Mm. And while I know a bit about him, I didn't realise he was responsible for the death of 100,000 people. 
yeah. Like, so no, we have had nobody like that. What I meant about it was um, the kind of man of the people thing. Yeah, well, it's an element of that. Escobar was very much trying to put himself across as Mm. a kind of a Robin Hood character that he's one of you and that he'll get stuff done for Mm. you in the inner city. He'll start boxing clubs. He'll start soccer clubs and leave. the, The man needs to leave me alone. I'm on your side. Whereas I don't think there's any sense that the Kinahans, uh, you could even believe that they're on your side. Well, I was told once by quite a significant character in the criminal underworld that always remember that it's always about the money. Mm. Always. And that's what it is, because while the monk believed he had loyalty in his own community, he didn't. Because the minute the Kinahan blood money came up, he was turned on by his neighbours, his friends, by people who were once loyal to him. Mm. Um, so that's a fact. And I think Escobar, the likes of Escobar, had that loyalty because he was actually paying wages in his communities. Yes, that's right. You know, that's right, and it loyalty. is all about the money. Actually. Uh, it is, yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. No, Narcos, I can't get Narcos. Narcos is absolutely... Yeah. Sublime. Yeah. And then when you find yourself getting used to people getting chopped up, that's when you have to switch it off. But yeah, no, I do. I, I watch all that carry on. And yeah. So do you know that we have some people on the line that are listening to this podcast? No. Do you not know that? No, I do not. There are some people listening on the line. They've been listening live on the line. Oh, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, they want to call into you now and they're calling in and uh, they're going to say hello to you. So if you wouldn't mind saying hello to uh, a few of the people, I think... Um, Paul Williams, actually. Okay. <laughs> Paul Williams is on. Say hello to Paul. Hi, Paul. Good evening, Nicola. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Do you know something? You've robbed my gig. <laughs> <laughs> and Sorry, you've Paul. robbed my drone as well. <laughs> Give me my drone back. Nicola the Brush Talent. Will you give me my drone back? I'm sitting here in my cupboard. I have a Garda escort in my cupboard. I'm sitting here and I want my drone. Will you give me my drone? What's his drone? My drone. Oh, sorry. There it is. What's your drone? Every time I speak to scumbags like Nicola Talent. Do I have that now? No, I want it back. (laughs) You're turning into a tiny little criminal yourself, (laughs) running your little empire like John the Factory Gilligan. That's mine. mine Leave it alone. (laughs) You took my life. You took my newspaper column. Now, you've taken my drone. (laughs) Well, that was great. Paul Paul Williams there. That was great. Um, Good to hear from Paul. I haven't heard from him in a while. Let's go another one on the line. George Hook is on the line. Say hello to George. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, Nicola. I'm absolutely absorbed with the conversation about criminals. Do you realise that you're not really covering the proper criminals, Nicola? (sighs) Should be the ones in the door, I presume. No, they're the people who uh, perpetrate the criminal act of getting decent folk like me (laughs) cancelled. Because I passed the odd past remarkable uh, comment and suddenly Hook is cancelled. I'm here in my men's shed in Buck Rock with three other lads that have been cancelled, including Kevin Myers. Would you like to speak to them? Well, go on. Hello, this is Kevin Myers. Nicola, please expose these scumbags for the perpetration of having us cancelled. Myself, Ivan Yates, uh, George Hook, we're all here 
Neil Francis, all of the people who've been cancelled, uh, we're all here. So please expose them if you can, Nicola, in I'll your do, next column. I'll do my best. Thank you. Urbe et Ulbi. Thank you. That's great. Lovely to talk to them. Um, let's see, Nicola, uh, Mary McCallan is on the line. She'd love to say hello. Okay. Do you want to say hello to her? Hello, Mary. Hi. Hi, it's genuinely an honour to speak to you, Nicola. You know, there are very few female superheroes <laughs> and you're one of them. We both fight toxic scumbags every night. You're face to face with the monk and I'm face to face with Leo Varadkar. I don't have a nickname for him. Maybe you could help me get a nickname for Leo Varadkar. I'm not really sure. But I re- genuinely love that. I mean, I really love your columns in the Sunday world. You know, you're such a firefighter and a crime fighter. It's just you're inspirational for women. Thanks. Okay. You're welcome. That's great. Thanks, Miriam, for calling in. That's it. You've been very kind to the callers. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks a million for... Uh, it's good to know Miriam's on side, isn't it? It is, yeah. She mm. would make a great crime journalist. Yeah, oh, definitely. Mm. Oh, yeah. They'd Perhaps. all talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with the Viper. <laughs> Viper? No, 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 no. You haven't answered my question, Viper. What's your name? The Monkey, is it? The Monk. Really nice <laughs> names. Um, yeah. And I was thinking about carry anybody. The monk, the monk yeah. had his own thing. C A B carry anybody. Yeah, that was the days when he could make a joke. I'm sure he's not feeling too jokey now. Yeah, very good. Well, Nicola, um, you've been great fun, and thanks a million for doing the promo at, on the top as well. Okay, uh, I'm really enjoyed it. I, can I hope I keep you the drone. Uh, you can keep your drone. I've, I've, it's you've, you've, Paul Williams. You've, you've kidnapped his drone. Forever. I'd love that if it went around actually with me all the time. The you drone. Know, like, yeah, even when I was just having a normal there it conversation. Is. <laughs> can I leave these on and then I can have it? When no, I'm we'll just give it to you now. You've, you now have the drone forever. So Fuck. no matter what you're doing, so can I have a packet of, can I have a Marlboro, packet yeah. of Marlboro lights and a Mars bar, please? And yeah. they go, are you are you speaking with a drone? Can I have a gin and tonic, please? I'd love it. It would be fantastic. You have to finish it with scumbag, though. Can I have a gin and tonic, please, scumbag? <laughs> Nicola Talents, thank you so much. Thank you. And I very much enjoyed uh, speaking to Nicola Talent, Ireland's top crime journalist. Uh, and thanks to you for listening as well. Check out previous episodes of this podcast. People like Connor Moore, the impressionist, Ronan O'Gara, um, the rugby player and coach, Darren Garrahy, the comedian, Lucy Kennedy, um, George Hook, all sorts of different people, David Quinn. Um, um, I really enjoyed talking to all of those people and check them out go back through the back catalogue and have a look Uh, thanks again to Curry's PC World for their ongoing support this podcast will be back next Thursday same time same place take it handy have a great week